All right, so let's talk protest and policing and effectively whether or not protest has changed such that the Toronto Police Union is actually right on the money when they say they have not been given enough guidance or the tools um, or any kind of instruction to deal with the protests that have been erupting in our community. And so maybe we need a new strategy. We're joined by our public safety analyst, the former commissioner of the OPP, Chris Lewis. Good morning. Good morning, sir. So would you agree that protest is somewhat different now? I mean, you know, I, it's hard to say that there's anything new under the sun. And certainly in past, I mean, everything from anti-Vietnam protesting to anti-apartheid protesting, it was a matter of routine. But it just seems like the city is very disrupted these days, especially with these pro-Palestinian protests. Well, absolutely, it's changed over the years. I mean, there was a time as a young officer in the 70s that I was never involved in one. Uh, you know, they were, there was the odd strike. It was more things of that nature. Um, and we put a whole pile of people together and make it go away. Uh, but but the, everything's changed, including the ability to have multiple protests on one issue right across the country, all communicated with social media. You know, the, the drums beat, people get together, and ultimately – it's very difficult to manage for police because it's so resource intensive. And, and there are there is a real uh, kind of gray mantle around it all in terms of what the charter allows and when the line is crossed and police action has to occur. Well, you're right, actually. It's an interesting point about social media, because back in the day, you had to spread pamphlets around or phone somebody and say there's going to be a protest at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Now you can get up on a Friday morning and say we're all getting together at noon. Well, that's right. And you can also, through social media, uh, put all kinds of stuff out there that's not even accurate. You think of the January 6th issue in the United States. And, and how many people came together really for something that wasn't even true, um, you know, in terms of a false election. Um, and and look what happened from there. And that that's just one event, let alone Idle No More and, and uh, you know, all the huge events, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, et cetera. I'm not being critical of any of these organizations, but some of these have been huge to manage and international in scope spread out across the country. Okay, so Toronto Police Union, for example, saying, you know, we've been hung out to dry here. Nobody told us what to do, and we don't know what we should be doing. So what kind of instruction do you think they need? Well, I, it's, everyone's situation is difficult. Uh, the Supreme Court and the Charter both allow, you know, peaceful assembly and the right to protest, it, knowing they'll be disruptive and laws. some laws will be broken. Uh, so where is the line that police ultimately... Uh, say, okay, you can't do that. You can't assault people, for example, or you can't, you know, destroy property. And when they start doing some of that, what's the ability of the police to have enough resources in, in place to, to deal with it and then keep that land or bridge or overpass open uh, while there's another one going on in the city? So you, you just can't put rules on paper to say this is exactly how it'll happen because everyone is so different. So for Toronto Police Association to think you could develop some sort of policy, here's what we're going to do in every situation, is that it's ridiculous. It's never going to happen. Although I understand, I get their concerns at the same time. It has to be fluid, and you have to have people that have certain boundaries, the leaders, certain boundaries where the line will be, 
but then they have to have the resources in place to deal with it when that line is crossed. It's so fluid and and, and uh, complex, John, it's impossible to have a, a set of rules that apply to every situation. We're going to be talking with the head of the Toronto Police Association in the 9 o'clock hour, but uh, one of the questions I would have for you, Chris Lewis, is do you agree with them that they were, you know, the whole coffee thing, that the management or command should have not backed them up on it, but maybe they were a little harsh? I, I don't know the command, how harsh command was, other than the chief said they're going to review it, and they apologized. And I get the concern of the public when they see that, but the officers are trying to de-escalate. They're trying to, you know, keep things, you know, kind of smooth. And all they did was say, okay, well, we won't let you in, but we'll give the coffee to the guys that are there. They didn't buy it. They didn't pay for it. And they weren't being a butler service. But, you know, the public concern around it is a little valid, thinking that some of that actually occurred when, when it didn't. They need to, they need, do need to be defended. It wasn't right necessarily, but they made a decision on the fly. They need to be supported. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Thanks, John. You have a great day. Take care. Chris Lewis, former commissioner of the Ontario Provincial Police, now our public safety analyst. On the lighter side of things, I love a feature today, which I think is in the Globe and Mail, Jeremy Freed writing about cat training. And believe it or not, there are now, yesterday, we were talking with a certified intimacy coordinator for film and television, and there are certified cat trainers who you can bring into your home to hopefully train your cat out of bad behavior and maybe even into uh, some tricks. I did not know about this uh, group called the Savitsky Cats, but apparently everybody got all excited in 2018 on America's Got Talent when somebody brought in a bunch of cats that wear bow ties and jump through hoops on command. And that got people thinking, okay, so maybe cats are trainable. And we're trying to track down a cat trainer for the 9 o'clock hour this morning because I think that would be a fun conversation. But I just find it absolutely fascinating, the idea. I mean, I don't hate cats. I have a reputation for hating cats. I don't hate them. I just, let's say I'm indifferent. Cats and horses, I find them both. Horses are just big cats. You stare into their eyes and you think, you don't really like me, but we're going to have to figure out how to share this space. All this reminded me, incidentally, uh, because I asked Nick Marano to track it down. But there's a guy on the web with a cat, and he, I don't know if he's necessarily an influencer, but he certainly has a huge following because his cat seems to interact with him on a regular basis, like this. Did you have good dreams? You did. Kermit. I love you. Oh, really? I love in the coverage of this idea, this notion of cat training, it says that cats have relatively short attention spans and long memories, which you have to take into account. But it's a fantastic combination. They can't pay attention to you, but they'll never forget something you did. 